good. So good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. And we're continuing now with St. Francis de Sales. And I hope that you're finding Francis to be very helpful. Because when I first discovered Francis de Sales, uh, I, I thought to myself, why don't more people know about this? This is great. Because Francis really, you know, if you, if you have a decent knowledge of Francis de Sales, I think you've got a firm foundation for knowing what you need to do as a Christian in any circumstance that the world might throw at you. Okay? This is really foundational, practical, helpful stuff. Not everything that I've ever had to present to people has been received as being practical, foundational, or helpful. But I hope this is. Okay? So uh, we're going to our Francis de Sales, and remember we've got. Uh, basically a five-step program here, okay? And our five steps are, once again, number one, making the decision to follow Christ. Not something to be taken lightly, not something to ever think you've really arrived, because we're always sort of half-heartedly doing that. So making that decision wholeheartedly. Number two, making the strength, finding the strength you need to do that through prayer, okay? Step number three, Specific ways to put that into action. And we're going to begin talking about this week. I think this stage will take three weeks, right? This week, next week, and the week after that. Number four, dealing with temptations. Step number five, keep on keeping on, persevering, okay? Now, we're going to go over some specifics this week. And I would just like to tell you that, just kind of a heads up, Francis is tough. Okay, Francis is tough. And it reminds me of uh, what our Lord said. You know, he said, narrow is the way, difficult the road that leads to life, and how few they are who find it. I really do believe Francis points out the way. And when you hear anything that I might present over the next three weeks, if it seems tough, uh, I just ask you to keep this in mind. It's, It's tough on the surface. It's actually very, very sweet to live. I like to think of our Lord's words sometimes when he says, uh, learn from me. I'm meek and humble of heart. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Easy and light are relative terms. Easy compared to what? Light compared to what? And I do believe sincerely that it's easy and light compared to the cruel burdens that the secular world would like to slap on your shoulders. Okay? I really do believe that. So it might seem harsh on the outset, but I don't think I don't. I, I do believe it's very sweet to live. Now, here's the subjects we're going to go over for the next approximately three weeks. Okay, we're going to go over the evangelical councils. Raise your hand if you know what the evangelical councils are. Raise your hand if, you, if you've heard the term but you don't know what they are. Okay, just kind of what I thought. Evangelical from the Gospels councils. Words of strong advice. They come from our Lord. The three evangelical councils are poverty, chastity, and obedience. And you say to yourself, I thought that was just for monks and nuns. Not really. Okay? And Francis is going to help us through this. He's going to go over poverty for lay people. What does it mean? Chastity for married people. What does it mean? Obedience for lay people. And then he's going to go over some... Specific virtues. He's going to go over things like patience and gentleness and humility. Okay, and then he's going to apply them to some specific things. He's going to talk about things like friendship and dancing and flirting and gossip, that kind of thing. Okay, now it's too much to fit into one week, 
So what I'm going to do is, what I'm going to try to do is, I'm going to try to take an evangelical counsel, a virtue, and a specific application until we get through them all, right? Um, so uh, this week, it's looking like the best I could do. We're going to start talking about virtues in general, uh, and then we're going to talk about patience, and then we're going to talk about friendship, or just begin to talk about friendship, okay? Uh, so it'll, 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 take, it'll take a few weeks. Before we, before we do that, last week, someone talked about prayer, and they said I didn't talk enough about distractions in prayer. And I said, I thought I talked about distractions in prayer. And they said, no, you didn't talk nearly enough about distractions in prayer. Please talk more, because everybody gets distracted. Okay, so how about just, I fill that out just a tiny little bit. Uh, when you sit down to pray, you almost immediately get distracted. Okay, you almost immediately get distracted. Things flood your mind. Uh, projects, errands, random noises, whatever it might be. One thing you want to remember, you know, and people get very upset by this. And they get upset because deep in our souls we have this idea that good prayer feels good and bad prayer feels bad. Okay? And do you want to know how you really judge the quality of your prayer? What did our Lord say? By the fruits you'll know the value of the tree. Okay? So, if you're praying well, you live better. That's the proof that you're praying well. If you're praying well, you're finding the strength to change. That's the proof you're doing it right. And if you're praying day in, day out, year in, year out, you're never overcoming your faults, you're doing something wrong. Right? And what you'll discover, the great spiritual writers tell you, is that the power is in your will, not in your feelings. So keep, please keep that in mind with regard to distractions. Your prayer is not harm if you don't give your will to your distraction, if you don't consent to your distraction. So you sit down and you pray. Okay? Maybe you're going to pray for 30 minutes. And it's one distraction after the next. That's all you have. It's amazing how when you sit down to pray, all the things you needed to remember flood into your mind. Now, when these don't flood into your mind when you're doing everything else. Okay? When you're doing your job, when you're talking on the phone, whatever it is, there's some reason when you sit down to pray, all these things flood your, start flooding your mind. And it's one distraction after another. Question, did you cause them? If the answer is yes, you've got a problem. Okay? Question, did you consent to them? If the answer is yes, you've got a problem. But if the answer is no, it actually has not harmed your prayer at all. And if you don't believe me, I hope you believe Francis and John of the Cross and little Therese, and Teresa of Avila, and countless others who have gone before, and they've all said that as long as your will is with His Majesty, your prayer is not harmed. That's, how, that's all that matters in dealing with distractions. Okay? Because prayer is about love, and love is about your will, not about your circumstances. Here's a little example about the importance of love. Every one of us has experienced what it's like to get a drawing from a little kid, Right? I love them. We have our uh, religious education kids. Every once in a while, I get a stack of cards from the kids, and they're hilarious. They, they have pictures of me, just scribbles. Um, I used to be black scribbles with some brown or red scribbles up top. Now the scribbles below are black, the scribbles up top are gray. <laughs> And we love these things. Why do we love them? Because they're 100% heart, right? How many things in your life do you get are 100% heart? 
basically nothing. Do you care the kid doesn't have motor skills? No. Who cares? It's funny how the, the love even comes through more perfectly when the skills are lacking. Your prayer skills, so to speak, in God's sight, they're sorely lacking. Okay? It's one of the consequences of original sin. Teresa of Avila tells us that. It's one of the consequences of original sin. You sit down to pray, your mind is flooded with distractions. That is to your mind kind of like what your wayward temptations are to your heart. You weren't meant to be that way. God didn't create you that way. We got original sin. We got a kind of a scar on our soul, so to speak. And one of the consequences of it is we get these distractions. But if you're constantly going back to God in your will, it's like you're presenting God with one of those kids' scribble cards. You're lacking in skills, but you sure are giving him love. And it doesn't hurt your relationship with him in the slightest. Okay, so there's, there's my little fill out now with a little tiny bit more about distractions. So let's take a look now uh, about what we're going to talk about this week, and that is start with virtues. Okay, first of all, let's, let's get an idea of what a virtue is. Okay, uh, there's two kinds of virtues. There's theological virtues and there's moral virtues. We're not going to talk about theological virtues. And I'll just tell you generally theological virtues of faith hope and charity theological virtues are gifts they're just flat out gifts you can't earn them you get them in baptism they're strengthened in confirmation you can't earn them the only thing you can do is just dispose yourself to receive them you can't make them grow all you can do is just dispose yourself to receive them um, we're not going to talk about those right now. Uh, that's a, a separate discussion, a good discussion, but not the subject that Francis is going to take up. We're going to talk about moral virtues. okay? And when we talk about moral virtues, basically what we want to talk about are habits. A virtue is a habit. All right? Now, the best definition of a virtue is right up here on the board. All right? A virtue is the residue of previously good actions and the disposition to repeat them. That's what a virtue is. So you, per- you perform a-, a good action. You know what happens? It becomes easier to do it again. And you kind of become inclined to do it again. Funny thing is, it works in reverse. Two vices are the re- residue of bad actions and disposition to repeat them. So you all know that ex- experience, maybe back when you're in school and you're tempted to cheat on a test, right? I confess to that. And you say, think to yourself in your conscience, this little war goes on in your conscience. Cheating's wrong, I should be honest. And maybe you cave and you cheat. And you look over and you look at your friend's paper and you write, a, write down that answer and you feel terrible about it. But the next time you do it, it's easier. The residue of previously bad actions and the disposition to repeat them, those are uh, vices. But virtues are the opposite. The residue of good actions and the disposition to repeat them. Last week, someone asked me uh, um, about people at the very end of their lives making a decision for or against God that determines their whole eternity. They say, well, somebody can come to the very end of their life and they can have lived a terrible and sinful life and then suddenly smack, change their whole life, turn to God and they go to heaven. Right? And I say, yes. He goes, well, that's not fair. He says, no, it's not fair and it's also not likely because the one who has been turning his whole will against God, has got a lot of past bad actions and a lot of disposition to repeat them, is highly unlikely to have a deathbed conversion. It can happen. I'm just saying it in common. Right? Those who have been seeking what's good 
uh, they, they, they're, they're highly disposed to continue. You know that there's a parable our Lord has. I'm going off subject a little tiny bit here just because I think this is interesting. There's a parable our Lord has uh, about the workers who all come to work and some of them start at 9 a.m. and some start at noon and some start at 4.30 p.m. Remember that parable? And at 5 o'clock they all get paid the same amount. And people say, unfair. Okay, granted, unfair. But you know what's interesting behind that parable? is a story that's not told. And that is that the workers in question are day laborers who have been searching for work all day long. The ones hired at 4.30 are only still standing around because they're that desperate that they're willing to take a half an hour of a paycheck. But they've been trying to work since 9 a.m. The ones who have 11th hour conversions are very often the same people that have been searching for the truth but not finding it all their life long. That's just an aside. A virtue is the residue of previously good actions and the disposition to repeat them. A habit gained by practice, right? Lost by vice, lost by the, by, by the contrary action. So it's a virtue is a habit, it's a skill. It's like guitar. You want to become good at guitar, what do you do? You practice. You want to play piano, what do you do? You practice. Do you want to become more patient? What do you do? Try being patient. You'll get better at it. Right? You want to become more self-controlled. What do you do? Practice controlling your will. Maybe it's in what you eat. Maybe it's in what you say. You'll get better at it. Okay? And it's lost uh, by the contrary vice. So just like if you stop playing piano, you become a worse player to the point where you can't play anymore. Or if you stop speaking a foreign language, you can say, well, I knew French in high school, but I haven't spoken a word of it since, and now I don't know anything. It's like that with virtues too, okay? We gain them by doing them. We lose them by not doing them. Um, so there's your basic background on virtues. Now let's shift gears and let's go to Francis de Sales on virtues, okay? Now, Francis begins by saying, making this point, okay? Francis says that every virtue, you have to understand, it's all ordered towards charity. Everything you do always is ordered towards charity. And you know what charity is? Let's not forget, charity isn't just being nice to people. Okay? Charity is, first of all, the love of God. First and foremost, charity is this way. And then that love fills you and strengthens you, and you can, you can act in the best interests of others. Sometimes it's pleasant, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's hard. But charity is always the willing of what's good for another. It's basically love in action. So Francis says every virtue has to be at the service of charity, and that is how uh, and, that, and that's how we grow. And he says when charity grows, all these virtues grow. And he has these funny little examples that he gives. I don't know where he comes up with these things. He says that when a queen bee goes flying along, all the other bees go flying along with her. He, I, I've never noticed that, but that's what he says. Okay, or he says that charity is like the captain of the troops. Okay. When the captain wants to go on a mission, all the other troops, all the other virtues, that is to say, go along with him. And to, to make this point, um, he says that some virtues are going to be emphasized and some virtues are going to be de-emphasized. Okay, so let's talk about that for a second. Francis says, just as a tree bears fruit in due season, so does charity produce various works in its own season. Frequently, the great fault of those undertaking a practice of a particular virtue is to insist stubbornly upon its practice in every circumstance. They always want to be weeping or laughing or worse. 
And they often blame and criticize those who don't want to practice the same virtues that they do. Okay? So let's take... Uh, here's, what, here's, here's, what, here's what he talks about when he says that some are emphasized, some are de-emphasized, based on charity. Let's take steadfastness, okay? I know, I and mean, you've met these people who, they'll say, I, I'm not a quitter, I never quit. And then sometimes they're really pig-headed. And they should quit. I mean, they, they're just... Should, but they don't because they say to themselves, I'm not a quitter, I'm, I don't quit. Okay, steadfastness is good, but not all the time, right? Um, there will be people who will say, I'm always honest. Okay, honesty is good. But there's times when you have to be a little bit diplomatic, right? Um, but some, sometimes, sometimes people want to practice these things absolutely all the time, and all things have to be ultimately ordered towards charity. So how do you know what to do. How do you know what to practice and what not to practice? Well, he gives us three principles, and I've got these up here on the board. Okay? Uh, here's the first principle. Okay, first of all, there's some things that are absolutely always to be practiced. Gentleness, temperance, humility, okay? honesty. My little example might not have been a Francis's example of honesty. But some things are always to be practiced. He says that sugar is tastier than salt, but salt is more used and in more ways. We should always have a generous supply of these virtues because we use them so often. So, you know, just take a look at those things and you think to yourself, Francis says, I don't know a time or a season in which we, in which we don't need those things. Okay? But then the second principle is this. He says, if you want to know what to do, choose according to your duty of life not according to your preferences. Now, okay, this is tough because we all have preferences. We all have really strong preferences. Okay? Um, uh, say, for example, uh, for, a, for a young parent, prudence and gentleness and patience and forgiveness might be more important than piety. Okay? So, for example, here's an extreme real-life example. Uh, I'm up there saying Mass one day and little kid comes right up to the altar and he starts dancing and he starts you know kind of playing around the altar and I have to say hello who do you belong to and then the mother's back there praying piously now when I talked to her about it after mass she said I just want to pray hey prayer's good right but what's your state in life at the time there's times when piety is not your highest not your highest uh, 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 motive and you have to stop and ask What's my vocation, all right? What's my duty, not my preference? That's the first. Another, another example. Um, uh, this one's from uh, my, own little, my own little life. I was back in the seminary. And I had this big conversion experience. And I'm in the seminary. And uh, yeah, I'm learning all about the saints. And I'm learning all about their mortifications. And I go to my spiritual director. And I, and I tell him that I want to fast. I want to fast. That's the, the penance that I want. And he says, I don't want you to fast. And I say, well, why not? And he goes, because what you're going to do, you're going to fast yourself up into a tizzy. Okay? And then you're going to take a nap because you've got such a bad headache. And then the next day, you're not going to have your paper ready. And at the end of the whole thing, you're going to call it all holiness. <laughs> so, so don't. All right? What's your duty in life? Is it going to help you in your duty in life? If it doesn't help you in your duty in life, then don't do it. Um, I knew a girl in college, very, very social. Uh, prided herself on her hospitality. And I remember one night she was on the phone, one friend after another. Friends come by and visit. She talks on the phone. She talks with friends who come by and visit. And she's been up for six hours the night before a test. 
And she goes, at 2 a.m., she finally goes to sleep. And she says, I don't regret any of it because I'm such a good friend. Hey, being a good friend is good. We, we like that. But not the night before a test. Okay? So you want to look at the, the circumstances, the, the duties of your life to help you to, uh, to, help you to guide and, and, and to, uh, to, uh, to know which, which ones to choose. In our, in our Lord's own time, right there in the Acts of the Apostles, right? The Apostles are charged with uh, preaching. And they also have all this need to care for the poor. And what they do in the Acts of the Apostles is that they, get, they, they assign the deacons to, to do some of the work of charity so they can be free for the task of preaching because they can't do both. Once again, duty, not preference. Trustfully surrender to what God has given you in your life. You ever heard of the sacrament of the moment? This moment in your life that God has given you has most of the instruction already in it for what you're supposed to do. And very often we have misguided ideas of what we think God wants us to do, when in fact he's really speaking to us very strongly right in our, right in our, uh, right in our immediate circumstances. Okay? So here's the third one. Just prefer the most excellent virtue, not the most showy virtue. Now some virtues, some virtues are more showy than others. Some virtues win more applause than others. There's some active virtues like a courage. Uh, or kind of a detachment from the concerns of what other people think of you. We, we, all, we all admire those who aren't really concerned whether people like them or don't like them. They just do what's right. And Francis says, you've got to keep this in mind. These active virtues are not better than passive virtues. Passive virtues like patience. Passive virtues like self-control. He says they're not better. One is more showy One's going to win you more applause, okay? One is something more people are going to see, but that doesn't mean that it's better. Nobody's ever going to applaud your patience because they can't even see that you're struggling inside, right? Nobody's ever going to applaud your unkind word that was right on the tip of your tongue because they never knew that it was on the tip of your tongue, okay? Francis uses this image. He says, comets appear to be larger than stars and more fanfare is made of them than stars and yet... They're not comparable with the stars, either in size or in quality. And they only seem more spectacular because they're closer. And so, too, people generally esteem the virtues that are more tangible and more material. And there's more appreciation for material alms than spiritual alms, for great bodily mortifications than spiritual mortifications, like kindness and gentleness and modesty. Okay? So very often, um, you know, not, not that any of these are bad, uh, but we have to be careful that we're not seeking to show people how great we are. It's a constant temptation. One wins more applause, but it's not to be preferred. Okay. So there's your basic background on what virtues are and on how we're supposed to order them. All right? So now let's change gears and let's start talking about some, some specific things. All right? First thing we're going to talk about here is patience. Right? Now, warning, like I said, Francis is tough. Francis is tough. Um, patience, he says, the more you perfect your patience, the more you possess your own soul. And it's a source of great, great happiness. And here's the interesting thing. For Francis, the definition of patience is trustful resignation to what God wills. You might never have thought of patience like that before. Okay, but for Francis, the definition of patience is trustful resignation to what God wills. 
Now, very often I've found that people were happy to proclaim their impatience. Uh, it's like they're not even ashamed of it. They don't even think it's a fault. I'm so impatient, they say to themselves, without ever realizing that impatience is not the root problem. Right? Impatience is not the root problem. The real root problem is a sin of pride and a lack of faith. Very, very often. Okay? Why was I impatient? Because, if they really stopped to think about it, they were impatient because, gosh darn it, I deserve to get my way. And I deserve to get my way right now. And deep down inside, I'm afraid that if I don't get my way right now, that somehow things are not going to optimally work out for the best. It's like this idea of wanting to control your life. Big, big, big spiritual trouble. And the root problem ultimately is pride. I want my way and a lack of faith. And and Francis is saying what we want to do is turn that around. And here's the interesting thing. He says patience is a suffering and it is an endurance. But like I said, let's go back to this idea. He says the more you have patience, the more you possess your own soul. It's a source of great, great happiness. But he says patience is suffering and endurance. Now, when I think suffering and endurance, I think of driving down I-95. Okay? That's suffering and that's endurance. And uh, maybe, maybe there's a little lesson in that. Here's what Francis says. He says, remember that our Lord saved us by suffering and endurance. Endurance of injustices. Endurance of contradictions. Endurance of afflictions, and that we merit that salvation by suffering and enduring injustices, contradictions, and afflictions with the greatest gentleness. So, don't limit your patience, but extend it to everything God will send you or permit to happen to you. Okay? So, I told you, this is, this is a big deal, and this is not easy. Okay? But this means two things. Okay? It means embrace what God allows and embrace the consequences of what God allows without tacking on conditions. Right? Think about this for a second. Francis says, some people want to suffer accusation, but only by those who are wicked and provided that no one believes the accuser. Right? Some people are, would love to be imprisoned for a political cause or persecuted for their religion, which is quite a different thing from being accused and suspected by good people. You know what the hardest sufferings in the whole world is? Is being accused and suspected by good people. It's a very, but sometimes God's going to allow that. And that's what he's talking about. Sometimes God's going to allow that. And we want to strive to accept it without conditions and not only with regard to the suffering and enduring, but also to its consequences. Okay? Many people, Francis says, would love to accept hardships just so long as they're not inconvenienced by it. Okay? So they want to, say, embrace poverty, but, you know, as long as they can still take their next vacation. Or as long as they can still, you know, head out to the Red Lobster when they feel like it. There's consequences to these things. And he says, we, we want to accept hardship even when we're inconvenienced by it. These hardships have consequences. We have to accept both the hardships and the consequences without condition. Ready for the narrow road? Ready for the hard road? Never said it'd be easy. 
Never said it'd be easy, but I do believe this is the way to go. Okay? Here's another thing. He also says, strive not to complain. Right? Strive not to complain. One of my favorite little lines, Teresa of Avila. Uh, she once re- reprimanded one of her sisters for complaining. Sister complained about heaven knows what. And Teresa of Avila turned to her and said, can't you suffer anything for Christ without telling me about it? <laughs> so you strive not to complain. He says, it's complaining's nearly always a sin. He says complaining is nearly always self-love. And complaining is nearly always an exaggeration. Now, no, no, I say nearly always, not always, okay? There's a couple of exceptions, and I'll get to those in a second. But he says nearly always a real exaggeration of what you're suffering. Okay, so somebody says, oh, I'm so tired. Why are you so tired? I've been up till 2 a.m. every night. Every night. Now, every night. Well, I don't know if it's every night. No, it's every night till 2 a.m. Well, are you counting all those naps you took during the day, too? I mean, sometimes people, they just love to, love to complain. And Francis says, if you're complaining, I got, one, I got one thing I can guarantee you. If you're complaining, you are not accepting. All right? Now, there's exceptions to complaining. And let's talk about this, because this is kind of interesting. Okay. Here's one exception Francis says to complaining. Number one, if there's an offense that has to be remedied. Okay? If, there's an offense, if there's an injustice that's been caused. Let's say there's been a theft. Let's say there's been a lie. Let's say that uh, there's, there's something where there's a potential for someone to be scandalized. You've got to step forward and do it. Okay? You can't let something that, you can't let an injustice go. You have to step forward and do it. You have to remedy the injustice. So there's one little guideline. Here's another one. And I really love this one. Okay? He says that sometimes you can complain to satisfy your peace of mind. Now let's talk a little bit about what, the, what, what he means by that. Um, he says uh, there are some times when you need to talk something out. What we want to do in talking it out is not turn around gossiping about it, but a, a therapeutic remedy sometimes for you. Like if you have something, you have it all bottled up. You can't sleep at night. You know, you got indigestion. You can't. And you say, well, Francis said I shouldn't complain, so I'm just going to bottle it all up. Well, wait a minute. There's sometimes when you need to talk it out for your own sanity's sake, and here's how you do it. You pick one or two trusted people. And for your own sanity's sake, you share it with them just so you're not carrying the whole burden alone. There's a big difference between that and spouting off at the mouth about complaining. And he says sometimes you need that for your own, uh, for your own peace of mind, for your own maintenance, right? Um, but, uh, but, but, but still, pick out one or two. And he says, I, I tell you, you must, not, you, you must not only bravely endure being ill, but also... With the kind of illness God wills, where he wills, and with the persons and inconveniences which accompany it. And he also says, don't complain by, quote, quote, not complaining. Have you seen this sort of thing? Some people desire others to pity them, feel sorry for them, and esteem them at the same time. Not only for being unfortunate, but also for being so patient and courageous. As St. Paul says, they have glory, but they don't have any glory before God. All right? And St. Francis, you know what I'm talking about. Somebody who might say, oh, my co-workers, they are so awful. Let me tell you all about how awful they are. And then you go into a number of specifics. But I'm such a team player. <laughs> you know, that, that I can... And so, on, on one hand, you get... Uh, on one hand, you're, you're, you're complaining. On the other hand, you're, you're trying to be showered with sympathy. Francis says what you got is a double vain glory there. You got your complaining and you're trying to be praised for complaining. 
Alright? He says glory, yes, but not glory before God. Okay? So, is this difficult? You bet it is. You bet it is. But you know what he says? He calls it like, he says that these difficulties are birth pangs. Birth pangs. And if you want Christ to be born, in a sense, from your soul, you've got to have birth pangs. Um, I was in the gym, and somebody had this t-shirt, this Marine Corps t-shirt. And on the back of the t-shirt, it said, pain is weakness leaving the body. (laughs) And it was this tough, you know, like workout kind of t-shirt. And uh, in a sense, these sufferings that you might experience in going through this, once again, these are skills you're working on, you get better at them. But the sufferings that you might be experiencing, it might help you to consider them to be like birth pangs. And the Christ is actually being born in your soul for this. Okay, so there's a little bit about patience. Let's shift gears to friendship. Okay, let's talk about friendship a little bit. And I think this is one of Francis's best subjects, friendship is. Um, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about friendship next week. Friendship next week as well, because I can't get through all this. Um, but let's talk about, first of all, what Francis means by friendship. Okay, three things. Says, first of all, friendship is mutual and reciprocal, or it's not friendship. So it's possible to love somebody and they don't love you back. That's not what Francis is talking about. Okay, that's not friendship. Okay. Second thing is both people have to be aware of the fact that it's mutual and reciprocal. So, for example, you might know some people that are just very, very friendly. And everywhere they go, they make friends. And they might have dozens of people that all consider themselves to be this person's really good friend. I knew a girl in college like this. But you go back and ask her whether she's a good friend with this other person. She's just not aware of it. Okay? She's just, just the way she is mutual and reciprocal. Both people are aware of it. Okay? And there has to be some kind of communication and some kind of exchange of some common interest. One of my favorite uh, uh, definitions of, of, of friendship, images of friendship, was from C.S. Lewis. And he says that friendship is what happens when you stand shoulder to shoulder with somebody looking at something in common. You're both sharing something together apart from yourself. Okay? There's some kind of a sharing going on. Okay. And Francis says uh, it's in that sharing and that communication that you've got to be careful. Because the strongest tug of your soul is to love. And the most powerful thing in your life is a relationship. And you're guided far more by your relationships than you are by your principles. Okay? And that's why he says you have to be very, very careful in choosing your friends. He says, among the passions, love holds first place. It's the king of the heart's movements. And it converts everything to itself. Rendering the one who loves similar to the one loved. Friendships, is the most, friendships are the most dangerous of all love because it's completely founded on communication and exchange and can't exist without sharing qualities and defects of the one that you love. So be very careful not to have an evil or a false love or you'll quickly become evil and false yourself. Okay? So friendship, it's interesting, you stop, never stop to think of it as a potential danger. But it's like that old adage, you know, lay down with dogs, rise with fleas. But you've got to be careful who you're giving and who you're receiving from. Because it's based on what's shared. If, you base, if you're sharing good things, it's going to make both people better. If you're sharing false things, it's going to make most, both people worse. Uh, sometimes people will come to me in the, in the office and they'll want help. Young man, young woman, they'll want help deciding whether they should get married or not. And I try to lay down some of Francis's principles as guiding posts. And I say, well, 
Do they bring out the best in you, or do they bring out the worst in you? Okay. Are they? Are, is, is she making you desire to be a better man, a on, more honest man, a more hardworking man, uh, or is it bringing out you know these, these these lesser qualities? Is he lifting you up, or are you always feel con, con, constrained, confined? Uh, when, when it's a good friendship, we're marching together towards heaven. Okay. And a bad friendship is taking us in the opposite direction. Again, all things order towards charity for Francis. Okay, so let's talk about uh, let's talk about false friendship for just a second. Okay, and we'll get to true friendship. Um, probably won't get to it this week. We'll get to it next week. False friendship. He says there's two things that are that, that are uh, make friendship false, based on the senses, or is based on something frivolous, right? And unfortunately. That's where all the fun is sometimes. But you've got to be careful of this. It's based on the senses or it's based on something frivolous. So what does he mean by that? Well, uh, he means a sharing of what he calls carnal delights, uh, amusements, entertainments. So if your friendship is never anything more than just a boon companion, I often knew people who were, they thought they were just the best of friends until they went and traveled together. And you know, that traveling, that time, it required a little bit of sacrifice on each one of their parts. And they were never used to sacrifice. The only thing they were used to was getting what they wanted and having a good time. And they thought they were the best of friends. But that's not what friendship is. Not when it's based on amusements. Not when it's based on having a good time. Not when it's based on frivolous things. He says that's not friendship any more than it is between a donkey or a horse. And he says marriage that's based on this doesn't even deserve the name friendship. And unfortunately... There's, there's some people that get married and, and the only thing that they, they don't share any of these deeper things in common and there's always trouble down the road. Absolutely always. Okay? So if it's based on dependent on the senses, vain things, frivolous things, it's not worth the name friendship. So here's what it means by uh, senses. Right? Based on the senses. If, uh, if, 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 say, a man and a woman are attracted, uh, because of, man, attracted to a woman because of her beauty. Or because of her sweet voice. Okay? Um, and Francis, let's see, who here, is, who here is under the age of 25? Okay? Because, all right, you, you, y'all can raise your hands. Okay? Um, I, I'm going to upset young people here. All right? Uh, he says, this is what the friendships of most young people are. He says, ordinarily the friendships of young people stop at things like hair, glances, clothing, attractiveness, small talk, Friendships worthy of that age whose virtue is still undeveloped, whose judgment is just a blossom. Friendships like that are fleeting. They melt like snow in the sun. And I don't know about you, but that describes several years of my life. Okay? Um, but he says you've got to be careful about this. It's not based on anything real. It's based on having a good time together. Or frivolous qualities. Okay? Uh, he says just listen to young people. They don't hesitate to conclude that a person has great qualities simply because he dances well or dresses well or sings well, or chats pleasantly, or has a fine appearance, or is skilled at all kinds of games. And I might go so far as to add, has a lot of money. And you know that's true. When I was in, um, a couple parishes ago, I was in a play. I was in Fiddler on the Roof. Maybe Sunday we'll have plays here at St. Jude Church, but we first need a building that we can dedicate just to the summer play. So we're a long way away from that, but I was the, I was the, I was the rabbi in Fiddler on the Roof. And there was a song in Fiddler, for those of you who know the play Fiddler on the Roof, there's a song uh, by the main character. His name's Tevya. 
And the song is, if I were a rich man, let's not all sing it, okay? I shouldn't have gone off like that, but this is my favorite line. He says, the most important men in town would come and fawn on me. They'd ask me to advise them, like Solomon the Wise, posing problems that would cross a rabbi's eyes. And it wouldn't make one bit of difference if I would answer right or wrong, because when you're rich, they think you really know. And frivolous qualities. This is, this is the foundation of false friendships. He goes into something where he really, really nails people, and that's flirting. Okay. Uh, now, what I'm about to say right here is something I've discovered to be a big problem in lots of people's lives across all ages. Um, but I found what Francis says here to be very, very helpful. Okay. Here's what Francis means by flirting. He says, flirting is a frivolous friendship... Okay? between two people of the opposite sex who have no intention of getting married. Now notice, he does not denounce frivolous friendships between two people of the opposite sex who do have an intention of getting married. He's not, you know, Johnny Dower or, or anything like that. He understands sometimes, you know, having fun, you know, banter, you know, flirting, all the natural guys being guys and girls being girls kind of thing. That has its place but not with people who have no intention of getting married. Um, he says this is really a problem, right? An older man or a married man, he says, it's not friendship, it's not love, and it's terribly, terribly dangerous. And here's why, right? First thing he says, it, it preoccupies people's hearts and it entangles them and it entwines them with meager amusements and frivolous communications. He says it's based on good desires but bad judgment. We need to love. We need to be loved. And we're guided and we're attracted by that. Okay? But we're guided and attracted by preferences without carefully examining the heart of the one they find attractive. And then they get entangled in nets and have a very difficult time ever escaping. Uh, I trust that because people will come to me and share these problems with me that, that I'm not the only one that recognizes this is a widespread problem. Okay? They get trapped in these nets and they have a very hard time getting out. He says some people do this on purpose. Others fall into it like a trap. But it's always evil. It's always foolish. And it's always illusory. Let's take a look at each one of those three things. Evil, foolish, and illusory. First he says it's evil. Okay? Because it steals love and it steals the heart from the one they owe it to, which is God or their spouse. And here's something that it's like you kind of almost have to take his word for it. He says it's evil because it almost always ends in impurity. He says that, you know, you start down this road, it begins innocently enough. They have their desires, they have their wishes, they have their sighs. But he says it often, often ends up ugly, carnal, Impure, even if they had no idea that that was coming down the road. Okay? And he says it traps your heart. Some things you're supposed to give to God. Some things you're supposed to give to your spouse. And it's like, it's like you have your heart's resources. And they get trapped up. And somebody else doesn't get them because you gave them to somebody else. You gave them to someone that you were, you were flirting with. And that's why he says, careful, watch out. Okay? He says it's foolish. He says it's foolish because it doesn't have any foundation. Now, I spent five years on the tribunal hearing people's cases for annulments. Actually, I shouldn't say I was hearing their cases. I was the notary for their cases, which meant I had one responsibility, to hit the on button 
and the off button of the recorder. But I still sat in and listened to the cases. And they, they, they make every new priest do that for five years. There's not anything special about me. They want every priest to know this is what the annulment process is like. So I heard dozens and dozens of people go through it and ton, tons and tons of cases. And you hear uh, questions asked, say, by the priest, how'd you fall in love with her? How'd you fall in love with him? And the answer sometimes will come back, well, I loved her because she thought that I was good looking. I don't think you got a relationship there, buddy. I think you got a pride problem. I think you got an ego problem. All right? He says a lot of times these foolish, these fools, they have no real foundation. It's all just emotional smoke and mirrors. And here's the clincher for me. It's illusory. It's illusory. And this is so true. He says they never bring you any happiness. They never bring you any satisfaction. It's like, uh, it's, it's like your desires write a check that the other person's soul can't cash. It never brings anything um, because there's always a hoping for something more. No satisfaction, no profit. There's always a hoping for something more to unfold without ever knowing what that something more is. What they always end up with is mistrust, jealousy, and unrest. And he says at the end, it's a trap. You think you can stop at any time, Francis says, but you're greatly mistaken. Love's fire is more ardent and more penetrating than you can imagine. You think you've received only a spark and you're totally astonished to discover that in an instant your whole heart is inflamed and all your resolutions are reduced to cinders. And it's interesting to note, um, this is a good reason to be really, really merciful to anybody who falls in this trap because anybody can fall in that trap. A lot of times people always think they're so virtuous until a temptation comes along. Temptation comes along and fall right on their face and they discover what they're really made of. And Francis says, this is what we're all really made of, so watch out, okay? We're all poor, very poor in love. We are all hungering and thirsting from the depths of our being to love and to be loved. And the, and the, and the hunger and the thirst is so great that we're willing to accept cheap substitutes, all right? Um, he gives a couple of little tiny, interesting little examples here. He says that, that, that flirting, he says, is like a walnut tree. Now, I don't know anything about walnut trees, but apparently Francis does. He says walnut trees absorb all the nutrients and shade the sun from the ground and kill everything that's growing around the circumference of the walnut tree. Um, he says it monopolizes the soul, takes your time, takes your energy, brings temptations, brings distractions, brings suspicions, kills the fear of displeasing God, agitates the mind. They're the amusements of the world, the pestilence of the heart. It's safe to say Francis doesn't think it's a good idea. Okay? <laughs> it's safe to say he's against it. All right? He says don't. But the reason why he says don't is because it's a bigger trap than you think. And once you're in, gosh darn it, it's hard to get out. Um, there's a lot more to say, but it really op- it begins opening up a whole other subject. We're going to talk about... Uh, Next time, some of the differences between true friendship and false friendship and some of the ways that Francis gives us to help to to judge those things. And we'll talk about flirting and get into some of the evangelical counsels. Um, But uh, how about this? We'll uh, end with a little prayer and then we'll open it up to anybody who wants to ask me anything and hopefully I'll have something to say. Okay?